Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On the program, new testimony from a whistleblower and from the defense minister on those allegations of sexual misconduct concerning two former chiefs of defense staff. Members of the Commons Defense Committee join us tonight to weigh in on what they heard. The Prime Minister announces yet another ramping up of vaccine deliveries to Canada. And our journalist panel will be in to talk about both issues, vaccines and the pandemic, and sexual misconduct in the military. And we start with those allegations of sexual misconduct against two former Chiefs of Defence Staff, Jonathan Vance, now retired, and Vice Admiral Art MacDonald, who stepped down to face those allegations last month. Today, the Commons Defence Committee heard two important sets of testimony. The first was from a Canadian Forces whistleblower who testified about the difficulties he encountered in trying to report an allegation by a female colleague of sexual misconduct allegedly involving Admiral MacDonald. The committee also heard for the second time from Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan, who returned to respond to the testimony by former Canadian Forces Ombudsman Gary Walburn, who told the committee that he brought allegations against General Vance to Minister Sajjan, who refused to act on them. Here's one exchange from today's hearings. So did you not want to see this evidence because you were afraid you knew what was there? Madam Chair, let me answer this very directly. Please do not allow any other member to define my experience or my service in the Canadian Armed Forces. And I don't like other men telling me what my experience was like. And I can assure you, and I'm sorry to get angry about this, that I would go after anybody regardless of rank or position if allegation brought forward. The reason and you say the investigation not started, I disagree. When an ombudsman receives a complaint, the process has started. For me to accept any information at that time is interference in the investigation. I'm sorry, Madam Chair, please don't have this member to define my experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or what it was like. Because I would not do it for what happened in your life either, okay? I'm sorry. I've had many people, many white men trying to tell me what my experience is. And right now, I want to talk about the women and what b better we can do for them. So please don't do that, Mr. Garrison, to me. Joining me now are three members of the Commons Defence Committee. Anita Vanderbilt is a Liberal member of the committee and the MP for Ottawa West Nepean. James Bazan is a Conservative defence critic, and he is the MP for Selkirk Interlake Eastman in Manitoba. And Randall Garrison is the NDP member for Esquimalt Sanish Souk and his party's defence critic. All three of you, thanks for taking the time. Thanks. Okay, let's start with uh, Randall Garrison. I want to start with you because we just played a clip of you. You, 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 you asking a question of the minister, but he got quite angry uh, at what he called you attributing motives to him. But he said he had done the only thing proper in this situation, faced with allegations of uh, inappropriate behavior. He referred the ombudsman to the Privy Council office. Why is that not a good enough explanation for you? Well, the Privy Council Office reports to the Prime Minister. It's not an independent agency in any way, shape or form. It's not an investigative agency in any way, shape and form. And we all know that that independent authority we need to investigate these kind of complaints actually does not exist. Uh, Madam Justice Deschamps called for it in her report 
nearly six years ago, and the government failed to set up that kind of agency. So what we're left with is a minister who refused to look at evidence and refused to take action. Right, but I mean, okay, well, to your point, though, if that agency doesn't exist in 2018, what options did he have? He said that the, uh, the, the auditor, the, sorry, the ombudsman didn't have the powers, and the PCO was able and ready, and in fact, his chief of staff followed up and, and asked if he had been in, t in touch with the PCO, the Privy Council office. Well, the first, the first thing he needed to do was look at the actual evidence in front of him to know what he was dealing with. And when he says, I couldn't do a board of inquiry and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that, I don't know how he knew that since he says he didn't look at the evidence. And uh, he confirmed uh, the ombudsman's testimony that he refused to look at evidence. So that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, he could have given a written directive to the ombudsman to do a further investigation. He could have appointed an independent inquiry, all kinds of things he, he could have done. He did two things. Uh, his, he asked his staff to tell the PCO, uh, and he asked his staff to tell the Prime Minister's office. So what we learned today is that the Prime Minister's office, and probably the Prime Minister, knew that there were serious accusations against the Chief of Defence Staff for three years while he continued to serve as the Chief of Defence Staff and uh, even get a pay increase during that time. Okay, James Vazan, I want to take the, the, the minister's points are that he, they didn't know the nature of these allegations, just that there were allegations. They didn't know the nature because they didn't interfere in what was an investigation and an investigation properly conducted by the PCO. That's because he refused to even look at it, but he did hear the allegation from Gary Walburn, according to Gary Walburn, when he testified at committee. And today's testimony by uh, Minister Sajan was that he was deceived uh, he was deceiving us, he deflected, and he was disingenuous. He never accepted responsibility for his actions, and I think that at the end of the day, we have to be uh, very concerned that we have a minister here who has been, you know, either complicit with the cover-up for the past three years or sat on his hands and looked the other way, allowing more women to be victimized for the past three years. And so, you know, I, I feel sorry that he tried to blame you know, minister, uh, the minister tried to blame Gary Walburn, the former ombudsman, and he also was uh, trying to uh, continue to, to, to say that he didn't have any power because it would be political interference. He is the minister of national defense. He has the duty and responsibility to manage all the affairs, and the chief of defense staff only reports to one person, and that's him. And he needed to clear the runway so that there could be a proper investigation done, and he refused to take any action at all, and that is just disappointing. And, you know, for the women who continue to suffer, it's disgusting that they had to be victimized like this. Okay, Anita Vanderbilt, your, your response to what you've heard from your colleagues from the opposition parties. Yeah, I, I think we have to be very careful with our words here because, uh, as we know, this is a minister who has spent his entire career protecting and serving. And I think that what we know from his testimony, which is consistent with everything that he has said and the evidence that's come forward, is that he did exactly what he should have done. He did not allow it to be politicized so that someone could get off on a technicality. He took it to the appropriate authority, which is PCO, because that is a GIC appointment. And they wanted to start an investigation. They asked for the evidence. The Mr. Walburn either couldn't or didn't provide the evidence at that point. We don't know if he told the woman whether or not she uh, that, that they wanted to start an investigation. But what we need to understand here is that, yes, 
there are systemic problems. The system was never set up to deal with an allegation against the actual highest, uh, the highest ranking official, the chief of defense staff. And what happened is, in the end, it has to go to the Privy Council office. It's outside of the chain of command. They have the power to launch investigations, to refer to the authorities, the other authorities that need to be referred. And that's exactly what he did. What he said today, he's, he, he is talking as somebody who has fought for equality and for inclusion his whole life. And what he showed today is that he did precisely the right thing. Okay, I, I want to put one point to you, though. And then when we listen to, and you all mm -hmm. heard the testimony from the former ombudsman, Gary Walburn, last week, and he described a situation where he had a woman who had come forward. The woman did not want to make a formal complaint, and she did not want her name to be used. She didn't want it to go public. Uh, she didn't want a formal investigation. Mr. Walburn said that he came to the minister because he said, look, help me out with this. Given what I've been given, uh, help me out and f help me find a way in which we can move forward, to which the minister said, I'm not getting involved, uh, talk to the PCO. Uh, is Anita Vanderbilt, you will, you will understand a lot of people when they say, well, that doesn't seem to be a response to, to the position. Well I think we can't have it both ways here. I mean, the minister is being criticized because he did do something, and he's being said, well, this was uh, confidential. She wanted to remain confidential. Why did you go to PCO so that they could try and start an investigation? And at the same time, now he's being criticized. Well, you know, it, uh, you, you didn't do enough or you did too much. And I think what we have is uh, when there's something like this, uh, he did say today that he gave advice, uh, and, and in fact, Mr. Walburn himself uh, knew what the appropriate authorities were. And and then he made sure that it got followed up. So everybody who's saying that there was nothing done, he followed up in the exact way that he should have followed up. And then we also know from, from later testimony that his office followed up again with Mr. Walburn to say, please cooperate with PCO, please provide the evidence that you have, because they wanted to investigate. At the end of the day, there was nothing provided that would allow a continuation of that investigation. And I think that there were a lot of other things the minister said today that are very, very important, uh, including the fact that he said he's creating an independent reporting mechanism. He said that there's going to be an independent review. He talked about other avenues. And sometimes women come forward for different reasons. Sometimes women come forward not because they want an investigation and they want something to happen to the perpetrator. Sometimes they come forward to prevent it from happening in the future. They come forward because they need counseling or peer support. And one of the things that he mentioned today is that there is now an online website where all of the services that are available are, are on a single portal. So people, women and men, can see where they can go. And he also talked about peer support. And I think what we need to fix this system is multiple different avenues okay. so that we don't end up saying, well, she didn't want to come forward, so we, didn't, we couldn't start an investigation. There need to be a number of steps along the way uh, before we say either an investigation or nothing. Okay, I want to get to the other testimony you heard today, too, because a lot of people didn't see it, and that was from Lieutenant Commander Raymond Trotter. Now, he came forward. You all heard his testimony. Quite interesting, because he had allegations from a female member of the forces. These involved uh, potential sexual misconduct by the other former chief of defense staff, who stepped aside now, Admiral Art McDonald. Now, you all three heard his testimony about the difficulties he, difficulties he had in, in basically navigating the business world of, of complaint mechanisms. Uh, Randall Garrison, what do you make of that testimony? 
Well, first of all, I think we were all uh, have in common is our thanks to Lieutenant Commander Trotter for coming forward uh, and telling his story of both the difficulties in navigating the system, but also the fact of the hostile reception by senior leaders to the fact that he was um, acting on behalf of a complainant and the fact that, in fact, he received threats as a result of doing so. So this indicates back to what I was saying before. This is not about whether a single incident was investigated or not investigated. This is about a serious problem we have in the in confidence in our senior military leadership. Uh, the allegations against Vance were not a single allegation. He was investigated for sexual misconduct before his first appointment. And now we have another complainant who's been very public, saying he carried on a, a very long-term inappropriate relationship with somebody under his command. And I have heard from multiple sources that his indiscretions were widely known within the military. So. The fact that whether or not one incident was investigated is not what I'm asking about. I'm asking, do we really have a serious commitment here by this minister, by the prime minister and the okay. senior leaders to take women's complaints seriously? When what you, just a response, because we're running out of time, but your response then to what uh, Ms. Vanderbilt has said, but also what the prime minister is now on the record is saying, and that is that there will now be a new independent instance created to deal with this. Well, we're a bit late, but uh, always better late than never, <laughs> I guess. Um, but let's see. Let's see. The proof is in the pudding. Let's see what we actually do here. We've heard the Liberals make promises before and then save them up for election campaigns. Uh, if they're serious, then they better get busy on this right away. Okay, James Bazan, I want to ask you what you made of the other testimony you heard today. Uh, I want to thank Lieutenant Commander Trotter for coming forward as a whistleblower. You know, he epitomizes the, the best of the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, you know, truth, valor, and honor. Uh, he, he, he did all those three things and uh, just shows that there's a lot of good people still left in the armed forces willing to stand up for women who have uh, faced sexual misconduct and been victimized by it. And, you know, he didn't give up. When he got blocked by his chain of command, he went to the, 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 the department and ultimately was able to get the, the investigation started. It did take three weeks before the chief of defense staff, uh, Admiral McDonald, stepped aside but, you know, every time we hear from Minister Sajan that he doesn't have any responsibility here, well, he didn't hesitate in having Admiral McDonald step aside and appoint an acting mm -hmm. uh, chief of defense staff. So, you know, it all comes back to, as, as Randall just said, that, you know, they can make some promises now, but we've been calling as conservatives quite some time for the independence of the Ombudsman Office, the independence of the Sexual Misconduct Response Center, and making sure that the chain of command can't interfere in the investigations like we witnessed, or, or, or and have a minister that is completely apprehensive and will not stand up for those women who are facing sexual harassment, sexual assault, okay. and sexual misconduct. Okay, we have 10 seconds left. Anita Vanderbilt, just one word. Do you think you mentioned the initiative that the prime minister or and that the minister are suggesting is gonna happen? Are we gonna see that, an independent body, before the next election? Well, we, we have been working along these lines for a very long time, but I'd just like to point out that Lieutenant Commander Trotter had the permission and the consent of the woman to come forward. He did everything right, and what we've seen is that within 24 hours, uh, he was contacted, right. they started investigation, and then, of course, the, uh, the, the, the former Chief Admiral McDonald has stepped aside while that happens. This is how the system is okay. supposed to Okay, on the work. independent body, uh, should we expect it in the yes. next few weeks, months? I I, I, I know that there are terms of reference being worked on right now for the independent review. Uh, on the independent body, we want to get it right. We want to make sure that we're listening to people. I know that the, the women in the Canadian Armed Forces, advocates, uh, they okay. know what they needed. And we're going to be listening and make sure that that's exactly what we do. Okay, on that note, we're out of time, but I want to thank all three of you. And uh, thanks for taking part and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you, you too, Martin.
At his weekly Friday media availability, the Prime Minister gave more details of the ever-increasing pace of vaccine deliveries that Canada is expecting in the coming weeks. In two weeks' time, we will receive almost 900,000 doses of Moderna vaccine, and there will be an even greater increase in shipments from Pfizer. Based on new delivery schedules from Pfizer, I can confirm that Canada will receive at least 1 million Pfizer doses per week from March 22nd to May 10th. A million doses of Pfizer alone every seven days. That's going to make a big difference. We have shared these updated delivery schedules with the provinces and territories. This is so they can continue to plan for mass vaccination sites to get you and your family protected as soon as possible. Every dose makes a difference. Well, joining me now to look at the week in federal politics and the latest on the COVID uh, front are Tonda McCharles. She's a parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star. And Erica Eiffel, who's a political commentator for the Hill Times and co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Both of you, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Okay, let's start with um, on the COVID front. We had another Friday, another media availability from the Prime Minister, where once again, he described a further ramping up of COVID deliveries. We are going to have, in two weeks' time, we're going to be getting a million doses of Pfizer every week. In two weeks' time, we'll be getting almost 900,000 doses of Moderna. So the deliveries are ramping up, but we are seeing mm-hmm. problems in the provinces. Um, Tonda, what do you make of where things are going in terms of the politics of, of the vaccine? Well, look, obviously, any influx in supply is going to be good news. And I I think that what the prime minister did was basically echo what the news we got from Danny Fortan yesterday, which is from March 22nd through April and well into May. Pfizer is going to be chucking out the door a million vaccine doses a week to Canada. So that is great. Um, At the health committee today, Danny Fortin, the major general, was um, questioned about, well, are the provinces able to uh, handle this influx? And, you know, look, there'll be lots of logistical challenges still to come as the vaccination campaign expands. But he said they assure him that they're, they're able to receive and administer these doses. I think that all remains to be seen. We've already seen, you know, the booking websites, troubles with those across provinces. Um, I think that the arrival now is very timely, not just for the provincial government, but for everyone. You know, the grim anniversary that we passed this week, the one year since the pandemic was declared, was really quite, um, I think, a a kind of horrible reminder of what the last year has been like. And um, I think people need a reason to hang in there and need a reason to to abide by the public health measures Mm -hmm. with the variants. And the fact that, you know, there is this possibility that people will start seeing more vaccines, more accessible sites, pharmacies, family doctors, other uh, pop-up clinics elsewhere, I think that gives people reason to both hope and maybe abide by the measures a little longer to keep Mm -hmm. the variants at bay. Politically, it's good for the prime minister. Um, We'll see if the provinces can deliver it and get it into people's arms. Okay, well, that that leads us to you, Erica, out in uh, Alberta. Uh, We saw a few weeks ago the the web system, the website for booking uh, booking vaccinations basically was overwhelmed by demand and it went down. And then the Alberta government was under pressure again this week to get it up and running for a new wave and new, new priority groups. What are you seeing there? How is the province dealing with this new logistical challenge um in my opinion things like um website issues and capacity issues are things that really should be uh addressed beforehand Mm 
the mechanism. And this is this is something that I do believe um, one should have taken uh, a lesson from the ACA in America when that um, healthcare site was what or the the enrollment was open that that website crashed and that was years and years and years ago. So my question then becomes how well did the province plan and what capacity building did they do on that front to be able to meet demand? And if they haven't, why not? And if they haven't fixed it yet, another why not? I I also want to bring up on this file, um, I I really want to know uh, different provinces are are dealing with the prioritization of people different ways. Um, Statistics Canada just came out with its information on Wednesday about the devastation of this virus for racialized communities. I know in Ontario they do have um, racialized communities as a priority group. Priority group. However, um, that's not replicated across Canada. And I really wonder if this if there's going to be an inequality in terms of the vaccine distribution, what that looks like in terms of especially amongst the provinces. And I think what we're going to see is, and we are seeing, is that as things get more and more complicated, as they go down the cascading list, there was almost Mm -hmm. consensus on age-based prioritization and then frontline workers. But now as we get into the other priority groups, things get much more complicated. I want to shift shift to uh, another issue that came up today, and that is we heard more testimony from the Defense Committee concerning allegations of sexual misconduct or inappropriate behavior against now the two former chiefs of defense staff, Jonathan Vance retired and Admiral Art McDonald now stepped down, at least temporarily. Um, uh, interesting testimony. One was from a whistleblower who talked mm. about the difficulty he was having coming forward with the complaints or allegations from a female colleague. And the other was a return visit from Sergeant Sajjan, who defended his behavior uh, when faced with accusations from the, uh, the former ombudsman of the forces, who said that uh, he didn't act on any of these accusations. Um, Tondra, what do you make of it? Well, look, I think... What I heard today was a lot of smoke and some very worrying testimony from the whistleblower uh, who basically related the runaround he got and uh, related how he brought the um, complaint directly to the minister's office um, uh, in the case of Art McDonald. And uh, when Sajan got up uh, and was grilled about... um, Jonathan Vance, the CDS, and how he handled that allegation. I, again, a lot of smoke, but we're not getting, I think, much, much uh, real uh, light on what happened. Um, Sajan is sticking to a line, which is anything I would have done would have been interference. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard line to believe or swallow when there was no, the allegation didn't even seem to get past any first gate. You know, I think people mostly understand interference or political interference as something where uh, a political figure would weigh in and say this should happen. But for a political figure to sort of say this is a concerning allegation, I will help you get this, you know, to the right channels. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get a clear sense from that. And and also, I think one thing that continually um, 
I guess bothers me about this story is that why knowing that there was an allegation did the prime minister not actually like did he wonder was it you know what was it shoplifting or pickpocketing or was it sexual misconduct like wouldn't you want to know what the nature of the allegation was he it's like hear no evil see no evil and i that bothers me and the fact that the um defense minister sort of seemed to be content to pass off and not sort of Mm -hmm. I think assure himself that that workplace was safe for many people to come forward with allegations or complaints. And that's what I didn't hear. I mean, you know, look, by that standard, we'd still have Governor General Julie Payette over in Rideau Hall, because what had to happen was there had to be an, a whole look at that workplace, didn't there? Yeah. And it didn't happen until media brought for the brought forward the circumstances over in Rideau Hall. In this case, again, we see a case where there were early flags, red flags were raised, but there seems to have been a bit of complacency around what the hell is going on in those workplaces. Okay, so. Erica, what do you make of it? I mean, uh, uh, to, uh, I, to, to take uh, Harjit Sajjan's argument, he says, well, if there was action in Rideau Hall, it was a PCO, the Privy Council Office, which, uh, you know, ordered an external inquiry into that. It wasn't up to me. If I was a minister, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I, as a minister, I shouldn't be touching it. What do you make of it all? I don't see where there was an investigation for him to interfere into. Like, without, without, you know, echoing what Tondra said, without the media, we wouldn't know anything about this. So what investigation is he talking about uh, that he's interfering in or potential interference? Look, I find this entire um, situation very troubling because a pattern is emerging for for this liberal government. And it's a pattern where uh, they seem to be protecting abusers. And that to me is, is, is unconscionable. The way they've used feminism and feminist activist language, as I've heard from uh, the Minister of Defense today about toxic masculinity, yet on the back end, they seem to be uh, upholding the status quo and ignoring the same women they claim to want to protect. So which is it? Is it the marketing liberals we're supposed to believe? Or is it the, the, you know, the lack of action liberals that we're supposed to believe? Um, I find that the federal workplace is a treacherous one for women and um, black people and indigenous people, BIPOC people. So the same people that the liberals claim that they support, you've been hearing the liberals say, I'm gonna expand this into the class action lawsuit brought about by black federal employees. You heard the liberals talk about there being systemic racism in the throne speech, in the institutions, and on the back end, what they're doing is they're fighting it. So I'm not sure, um, and, and the more this um, unfolds is the more that we're seeing uh, a, 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 discontinu a discontinuity mm -hmm. between the rhetoric and the branding and the actions that should be commiserate with that branding. Okay, on that note, I'm not, I'm not, so okay, that's um, just the last word, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm not quite prepared to say they're protecting abusers yet, because the thing is, we just don't know if there is abuse. The investigations don't seem to be taken up with 
determination to get to the truth. Yeah. Okay. On that well, note, I, I uh, this is not the for, harassment is abusive. Okay. That's on this note, uh, something tells me we will be, unfortunately, we'll be speaking <laughs> with about this subject again. I want to thank both of you for taking the time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Just before we go tonight, some news concerning the search for a new governor general after the resignation in January of Julie Payette. Today, the Trudeau government announced the formation of an advisory panel to produce a shortlist of possible candidates to become the new governor general. The committee will be co-chaired by Dominique Leblanc, he's the president of the Queen's Privy Council, and Janice Charette, she's a former interim clerk of the Privy Council and the former High Commissioner to the United States. The six-member panel will also include Nathan Obed, who is the former head of the Inuit Taprit Kanitami. Well, that's all we have time for, and that's this, it for this edition of Primetime Politics. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching, and have a great weekend.